So um, we, uh, we just closed on our house about a week ago now, which was really great. We're, you're stuck with us for a while. And so we, uh, we, we closed on the house on Friday, and on Saturday I started tearing out floors, and I took a wall down with some help. And, um, and we just started renovating, just blowing some things out, you know. And, and I'll just tell you right now that I am not a handy person. Okay, I'm not a handyman because some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I should call him. No, that's a bad idea for you. I will tell you who's helping me and you should call them, okay? And, and thankfully, every place that we've ever lived and we have done some renovations like this, I've always had good people who know what they're doing. So here's how this works. I show up with the handful of tools that I have and I do as I'm told, Okay? I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to do it. Just tell me what to do. But I need someone else. I'm dependent upon someone else to give me good, solid direction. Okay? That's the only way this is going to work out. Otherwise, I can't even imagine how bad it would be. All right, so that's how this works. Now, I tell you this because as Christians, as believers, God is at work right now, and He is renovating our hearts. He is changing our lives, and He knows better than we do, okay? We're just trying to look at His Word and trying to do the best that we can, but He is the master craftsman, and we may not understand everything that He's doing at all times. We may not get it. We may not appreciate it. We may not like it, but God is the master craftsman, and He is intent. He is determined, and nothing, nothing is going to stop Him from changing you and from changing me. That is the work that he is about. And just like I start on my house on the inside, because that's where life really happens, right? On the inside. We're in the kitchen. We're in the living room, you know, where that life really happens. God is at work from the inside out changing you. So he is in your heart right now, and he is renovating. He is changing. He's restructuring. He's blowing out walls. He's tearing out floors, and he's changing things. And he's doing that from the inside out that now is going to change how we live right? It moves from the inside out. And this is the gospel. This is the idea that the gospel changes everything, that as we come here on a Sunday morning and we sing the gospel and we hear the gospel and we read the gospel, that that does a work in our hearts and it begins to change us from the inside out. And so we come here and we're reminded over and over again through the Lord's Supper, through the songs that we sing, through the message that Jesus, because here's the gospel, that Jesus, the very Son of God, the second person of the triune God, he came to earth and died for us when we didn't deserve it. He rescued us from our sins, but he's alive. See, he didn't stay dead. He rose to life, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom right here on earth. And it's that news, that reality, that we can have life in him, that though we were dead, we are saved through him. That reality, that gospel begins to change us. And we apply it to every area of our lives. And that's what Scripture tells us, that the answer to all of our problems, everything, it always goes back to, to the gospel. And you might think that that sounds overly simplistic, but it's not. It's true. The gospel changes everything about us, and it starts from the inside, and it works its way out. And so that's what we've been talking about through this whole series that Paul's been taking us through. It's all about how the gospel changes everything. And then over so the last three weeks, what Paul's been doing is looking at some specific areas, some specific practices that help us to experience and to tap into the gospel. 
Okay, and these are not innovative. These are not new. These are not some new fad that we came up with and found online or something, right? These are from Scripture, and we sort of summarize them in these four, okay? The first one is that if we're going to experience the gospel, then we need to be engaging with God personally, each one of us, all the time. And we do that primarily, primarily through reading and reflecting on God's Word. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is an acknowledgement that that's not really enough for us. It's not enough that I spend time by myself with God's Word. I need someone else in my life to point me to the truth in God's Word, to speak the truth to me. I need someone else to hold me accountable and say, are you reading God's Word? And then to come alongside me and say, hey, I don't think you're applying it in, this, in the, the way that God intended. I don't think you're reading this correctly. And they're there to encourage me and to exhort me and to challenge me. I can't just do this on my own. I engage with God personally, but then I need other people. And the third thing is that really I need the church. All of us do. The church is the local expression of the universal church that God is creating right now. And so we come together so that we can serve and we can be served within the church. And then the fourth thing is that as a church, then we go on mission. All right, so those are the four things. We engage with God. We have accountable relationships. We connect with one another. We are part of this local assembly, and then we're going to go on mission. And as we, in, as we engage in, as we practice those areas, then God is going to change us. That is applying, that is tapping into the gospel in our hearts, and it begins to change us. And what's more, as we do those things, as we grow in faith, we'll actually do them even more. And so as I grow in faith, I'm going to more and more engage with God personally all the time. Praying to Him, worshiping Him, reading His Word. I'm going to more actively seek out those deep, accountable relationships that God's going to use in my life. I'm going to be more invested in what He's doing in this local body. And I am more and more going to be going out and making sure that people know about Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about this last week. We've already covered the last three. Paul's already been through those. So what we want to do this morning is we want to look at this passage that Paul has for us in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to get an idea, a picture, if you will, of what this idea of going, whether it's overseas or whether it's next door, what this idea of going on mission really looks like. Okay, so that's what we want to do. I want to start by reading this together, okay? So 1 Corinthians 9, and I want to start in verse 19. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Okay, let me give you a little bit of context here. So this is, this is Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Now, Paul has a unique relationship with the church at Corinth in that he started it. Okay, he planted that church. So he goes to Corinth and he plants this church. And then somewhere, we don't really know the timeline, he leaves and he begins to hear that there are some people within the church who are not so sure that Paul was really the right guy for the job. 
As people are beginning to question, they're beginning to, to criticize who he is, his authority, and in fact his apostleship. And they give a couple of reasons for that. If you read through 1 Corinthians, we sort of have tied this together. We, we've looked back and said, okay, what's Paul answering here? Okay, we think these are the criticisms that the church at Corinth is laying against Paul. Okay, and I don't have time to go into all of them, but for our purposes, for this passage, there's one that we have to understand. And that is that the Corinthians were looking at Paul and the way that he was living, and they begin to wonder, is he really all that honest? Does he really have integrity? In, in short, they began to look at Paul and the way he was living, and they said, you know what, Paul seems like a bit of a sellout. I mean, look at him. I mean, he, he goes over with, with the Jews, and suddenly he's acting all Jewish. And, and then he goes over here with those not under the law, the Gentiles or the Greeks, and suddenly he, all that's gone. He's acting so different. And so they step back, and they look at this. Okay, there's these inconsistencies in Paul's life, and they drew this conclusion. They said, you know what I think he's doing? I think he's selling out. I think he's just trying to, to get in good with these different groups. I think he's doing whatever it takes to be liked and to be approved of by whoever he's with at that moment. And he's doing that to further his own ends. He, he's padding his resume. He's making himself look good. He is promoting his own agenda. That's, Paul, that's what we think you're up to. And, and you can understand that in one sense. I, I mean, probably we've all known people like this, Right? Hopefully we aren't people like this who, right, we, we go around one group of people, you know, maybe you've got a friend like this, they're around you and they're acting one way, they're saying certain things, and then you find out when they're over here with these other people, they're acting differently. And we don't want to have relationships with people like that, do we? Right? We don't trust them. They lack integrity. So we can understand that. Paul, if you are doing this, if you are going with the Jews and acting this way, right, probably this had to do with dietary laws. So when he was with the Jews, he would not eat certain foods. And then when he was with the Gentiles, he would eat certain foods. There may be more to it than that. But the point is, he's acting one way here and one way here. And if, if that's true, Paul, if you're doing that to further your own agenda because you want people to like you because you're trying to get in good with them, man, I'm with the Corinthians. You, you are a terrible apostle. You've disqualified yourself. But of course, that's not what Paul's doing. That's what he tells us right here. Because what does he say? He says, you've missed, you've missed the point here. He says, I'm, I'm not doing this so that you're, you're going to be impressed with me, right? They're right, though. Notice, he does act differently. He's not saying that you've, you've completely seen what I'm doing. He's like, you're right. I'm acting like a Jew when I'm with the Jews. I'm acting like a Gentile when I'm with the Gentiles. But what you've missed here is that I'm not doing this for myself and my own agendas. I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for them. What does he say over and over again? So that I might win some. He goes and he does whatever it takes. And he'll be whoever he has to be so that the gospel goes forth. It's kind of like going on a date, all right? Let me try to bring this down for us, okay? All right, so I know we got some single guys out here, so I'm going to talk to you, okay? Imagine you're going on a blind date, all right? My parents met on a blind date. How cool is that? Now, I have no idea if, that may be really old-fashioned now. I don't know if we do that anymore. But okay, imagine, all right, you're a single guy, and your roommate comes to you and says, okay, man, I've set you up with this girl. She is amazing, okay? She's beautiful, and she's smart, right? She's the, the, on the cheer team and captain of the chess club, right? She's beautiful and smart. She's got everything, all right? She's the whole package. She's funny, she's intelligent, and she loves Jesus, all right? And you're like, man, that sounds pretty fantastic, 
And he says, okay, I've got this all set up. You're going to pick her up at her house at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Now, here's what you do, okay? If you hear about this girl, this is what you do. You're like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to make this go well, right? Nod with me, single guys. Yes, you are. You're thinking ahead. You're like, you know what? I'm going to shower, all right? You're going to start by bathing. That's a good place to start. You're going to make sure that you feel good or you smell good, all right? So you're going to start that way. And then what are you going to do? You're going to like go through your closet and you're like, okay, I'm going to wear this and this. That looks good together. I'm going to make sure I'm not wearing those, those uh, you know, holy sweatpants. I'm going to have a nice pair of shoes. And then you're thinking about where are you going to take her? All right, I'm going to be on time. And then uh, where am I going to take her? You know what? That pepperoncini's down on Bridge Street. That's pretty good. Or uh, maybe that Black Lab Bistro. You know, I take her there and I'm going to pay for her. And when I'm there, I'm going to ask her about herself. Because I want to know what she's about. I want to know if she's really somebody I want to get to know. Right? You do all those things. Now, hopefully, you're not doing those things so that you can manipulate her. You're not trying to trick her. If you are, we need to talk later and I will smack you. All right? That's, no. You're doing this because you're trying to make a good impression. You're trying, here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to give that relationship a fighting chance. That's what you're really trying to do. Because think of it this way. If you don't, your roommate comes back, he tells you how great she is, and you go, yeah, you know what? That sounds really great. I'm so glad that he set that up for me. And on Saturday night, I'm going to start planning, and I'll think about that. And then on Saturday night, you really haven't given it any thought, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to throw on this holy pair of sweatpants, and I've got this shirt and the dirty clothes. I'll just throw that on. It seems fine. And then you show up, and you're like, hey, uh, you want to go to McDonald's? And, and you make your order off the value meal, and then you talk about your fantasy football league the entire time, Right? Can I tell you something? Don't do that. All you single guys, shake your heads. No, you don't do that, right? Why? Because you're dead in the water. That date is over before it even began. It doesn't matter how great a guy you are. It doesn't matter how, how sweet you are and how kind you are and what a great future husband you would make now. It's over. And even if she walked away thinking, well, you know, he seemed nice enough. You know, her next thought is, man, he smelled terrible, Right? <laughs> There's no way she's going to go out with you again. It's over. Here's the problem. She never got a chance to see you. Not really. She never got a chance to really have a conversation with you and get to know you because she was distracted by those sweatpants that you're wearing. And she went to McDonald's and thought, what kind of a cheapskate is this? You know, and she has no idea who you might really be. And so Paul knows this. And Paul says, I'm going to eliminate, I'm going to remove any distraction, anything that might offend the people that I'm with, because what really matters is that they hear the gospel. So if I'm with the Jews and I'm eating with them, I'm not going to eat those other foods because that might offend them and they might not hear the gospel. And that's what matters. And if I'm with the Gentiles and they offer me food that I would not eat when I'm with the Jews... I'm going to eat it with, when I'm with them. You know why? Because I don't want to be rude. I, I don't want to offend them because then they might not hear the gospel. You, you tracking with me? See, Paul is looking at this and he says, look, I, he says, look, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. I can eat or I can not eat. doesn't make a difference. But the point is that he's not using his freedom. He's not doing whatever he wants for his sake. He's doing it for the people that he's with. And so he's in that situation. He's not going, okay, now I'm with the Jews. Now what can I do to enjoy myself with them? I know I'm going to act this way and I'm going to get in good with them. No. He's not with the Gentiles thinking, man, I'm going to eat good tonight. I can eat whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. That's what this is about. No. He's there saying, 
how do I build the best platform to share the gospel? What can I do that's going to make this as clear and as understandable? I don't want anything to get in the way. And so I am going to be all things to all people because I don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. Now, here's where we get into trouble. Here's where we get in trouble. We really like this idea of being all things to all people, but a lot of times we kind of forget the rest of it. Being all things to all people so that I might win some. See, I really like the be all things to all people because what that means is that now I don't have to be offensive. I don't have to look like that pious Christian who's going around making everybody pray before their meals. And, you know, like I don't have to be that guy. I can be all things to all people. I can blend in. I can fit in. That's, I like that part, okay? But can I tell you something? That there's this danger that comes with that when I don't attach the rest of it. And it leads to conversations like this, all right? And I've had these conversations. Lucas, man, I know that last week I shouldn't have acted like such an idiot with my buddies, but you know what? I, I, I'm with them, you know? Like, I just need to be a witness, and I didn't want to spoil that. Really? You know, I know last Friday night I shouldn't have gotten out and, and, and drank as much as I did, but you know what? I was with my friends, and they would, have, they would have thought I was judging them. They would have been offended by that, and so I just had to do what they're doing because I, I have to stay in with that crowd. Really? Is, is that, did, did they see Jesus in that? Is that how that played out? I mean, conversations like, you know what? I was with my friends, and, and, and we started talking about this other person, and I knew it wasn't true, but I just kind of kept talking about it. And, and I know I shouldn't have, but you know what? If they would have thought I was, I was rude. They would have thought I was some sort of stick in the mud, that I was some sort of pious Christian. I didn't want them to think that. Man, i got to be in with them because God's going to use me as their witness. Have you shared Jesus with them? I haven't gotten that far yet, right? See, we really like this idea of being all things to all people, but we have to remember why we're doing it. And can I tell you right now that one of the greatest dangers, I think, for our generation, okay, right now, the generation of the church right now, is that as a church, we've gotten really good at being all things to all people, but I, I fear that we've forgotten why. And so we've gotten really good at having the right music and dressing well and, and having good videos and graphics and all this kind of thing. But why are we doing it? It's not so that we get more people in the door. It's not so that we get more people to give us money. It's not so that we have more power and more status in, in, the, uh, in the community. It's so that we're supposed to win people. And see, when I lose that, it loses all perspective. We completely miss the point. In fact, we become guilty of the very thing that the Corinthians were accusing Paul. Now we're just getting good in good with everybody. Hey, people like us. People think we're cool. Isn't that great? But we've completely missed the point. And see, Paul says, the point here is not that I would further my own ends. He says, I've got this freedom. And that freedom isn't for me. That freedom isn't, I can eat whatever I want, but it's not about that. My freedom is now, I can use that freedom. I can leverage that freedom for the sake of other people. That's his point. See, I think part of the problem here is that we have a really, really messed up view of freedom. And it's, it's rampant in our society, especially in our country. And we love freedom. We worship freedom. Freedom is the greatest good in our society right now. I mean, there's nothing worse than denying somebody their freedom, right? That's the worst thing we could possibly do. 
See, and the reason for that is because we believe that freedom is the key to happiness. We think that freedom is really about license and freedom is really about me. And so I want all the freedom that I can get because I want to be able to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and no one, no one has the right to tell me otherwise. I want all the freedom that I can get because it's all about me doing what I want to do. Right? That's what we think. That's our view of freedom. And and more and more, what we see in, in society and culture right now is that our laws and our morality are moving more and more to this idea that anything goes. You can do whatever you want. You can participate in anything that you want as long as, and this is the one caveat, as long as there's no victim involved. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, hey, all's fair, all's game, everything. Nothing is off the table just as long as you're not hurting anybody else. That's the only thing. And so freedom now is, hey, make yourself happy. If that's love for you, then that's love for you. If that's happiness for you, then that's happiness for you. Whatever it takes, you should be happy. Do whatever you feel like doing. Just make sure you're not hurting anybody. Now, there are all kinds of problems, and I don't have time to get into it. All kinds of problems with this view. But one that I'll just throw out right now is that sin is never a victimless crime. Never. Never. And whatever secret or little thing that you think you're doing that's not hurting anybody, you're wrong. That is a lie from Satan. I will tell you right now that there is, you will not find that in Scripture. Hey, that little sin that you're doing, not affecting anybody else, it's not true. That sin, I guarantee you, I promise you, it is affecting you, and because it's affecting you, it's affecting the people in your life. There's no such thing as a victimless sin. And that idea of freedom, that view of freedom, that it's all about me and whatever I want it to be and whatever I feel like doing, you're not going to find it in here. You're just not. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find it here. That is not what freedom is. Look at what Paul has here, right? Back in verse 19, he says, I am free from all. See, it's not that Paul isn't free. He is. He's incredibly free. I am free from all. And then later on, he says, I became as a Jew to those under the law. I became as one under the law, though I'm not under the law. He says, look, I'm free from the Mosaic law. I'm free from the Old Testament law. He says, I'm under the law of Christ. See, Paul is incredibly free. He's free in his relationships, and he's free in his actions. See, he's, he, verse 19, he's free from all. This, this is talking about he's free in his relationships. Because of Christ, Paul is not indebted to anybody. There's nobody else who's controlling him, right? He doesn't owe any particular group of people. He's not trying to, to get in with any other particular group of people who are going to make things good with him, right? He, he's free from all of that. He's not trying to impress anyone. There's no peer pressure here. He's free. Paul is a free man, and he's free from the Old Testament law. He's free from this idea, this misconstruction, really, of, of Old Testament law, that there's something that he's got to do to make God happy. See, Paul knows because he's under the law of grace, under the law of Christ, that there's nothing that he can do that's going to make God more pleased with him. Nothing. There's nothing that he can do that's going to make God love him more. There's nothing he can do that can make God not like him. See, that's grace. See, that that salvation that he has, that relationship that he has with God, it is a gift. He didn't earn it. And so he's completely free. He's free in his relationships. He's free in his actions. But he leverages that freedom 
for the sake of other people. Look at verse 19. What does he say? I am free from all. I have made myself a servant, a slave to all. He's free, but he's not using that freedom for himself. He's not abusing that freedom. He's not wasting that freedom on himself. Instead, he uses that freedom for somebody else. And if we're Christians this morning, if you're a believer this morning, then you have all the same freedom that Paul has. You're free in your relationships and you're free in your actions. You are extremely free people. There's nobody who... Look, I'm not talking about your boss or, you know, owing people, you know, like, I did this favor to you or whatever. There is no one that is controlling your life. Not really. You are free in your relationships. You don't owe anyone in this grand sense of the word. You you are completely free. There's no one who can make you who you you don't want to be. There's no one who can control your emotions or your attitude. In the deepest sense of who you are, your soul, you are free. Christ has set you free from all of that. And you're free in your actions because there is nothing that you can do or I can do to make God love us more. We are 100% loved by God. We are his children. And it doesn't matter what we do. If I really, really mess up, God still loves me. And if I do all the things I'm supposed to do, God loves me the same. That's grace. I haven't earned that. He gives it to me freely. But I'm not supposed to use that freedom and say, oh, look, I've got all this freedom, and now I can do whatever I want to make myself happy. No. I've got all this freedom, and now I'm supposed to use it. I'm supposed to leverage it for others. I'm supposed to use that freedom to say, okay, you know what? I could do all these different things, but I'm going to do whatever is going to help that person because I want them to know Jesus. See, until we lose this view of freedom that it's all about me, until we can let that go, until we, we have our perspective changed, that my freedom is not about me and my happiness and what I want, that I'm never going to be able to leverage that freedom for anyone else. It's always going to be about me. I'm always going to be enslaved to that. See, the truth is that that kind of freedom, it never leads to happiness. It doesn't. It has never happened. In the history of the world, not once. I mean, think about it. We live in a country that is probably the most free society that maybe the world has ever seen. And we are drowning in unhappiness, right? I mean, look around, walk around the town, walk around the city. We are drowning in unhappiness. It's all about what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? What am I going to get next that's going to make me happy? I've got all the freedom of the world and it's not helping. Never has that kind of freedom led to actual happiness. You show me somebody who has really indulged that freedom, has gotten everything that they want, and I will show you someone who is a shell of a person. And they are absolutely enslaved to sin and their own happiness, really. And that will ultimately destroy them. See, that freedom, that's not freedom. That's slavery. That freedom, that's not freedom to be free. That's freedom to make myself happy. And that's really slavery. Because suddenly my life is all about me and making myself happy. And now everything in my life becomes either a source of or a detriment to my happiness. Think about that. When my life is completely lived for me, then it's about, is this making me happy or is it taking away my happiness? It's one or the other. And so I don't love my spouse because of who she is. I love her because she makes me happy. 
and I don't love my kids because, unconditionally because they're my kids. I love them because they make me happy, and I love my job so long as it makes me happy. And the problem with that is that as soon as it doesn't make me happy, I let it go. I start looking around. See, first, first of all, First of all, if, if I pin my happiness on my spouse, then I'm going to crush them. They, nobody can live up to that. Praise God that, that Carrie is not pinning her happiness on me, okay? That would be really, really bad for her, all right? I have failed over and over and over again, all right? Praise God that my kids are not pinning their happiness on me, I hope. Right? We're going to make sure that they don't do that. We're going to tell them about Jesus, okay? Right? If we pin, and if we turn around, we pin our happiness on our kids, God help them. Seriously. But once we discover that they're not living up to that, then guess what happens? I fall out of love with my wife because she's supposed to make me happy, and now she's not. So I fall out of love with her. My kids, man, they're not making me happy, so I disengage. I check out. My job, man, it's not making me happy, so I start looking around for another one. Because, see, it's all about me. It's all about my happiness. And if I can't change those things, then I'm going to find something else that will, something else that's going to fill that void, whether it's entertainment or a hobby or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. I'm going to find something else that's going to fill that void of happiness because that's what this is all about. It's about me. It's about me being happy. And I am a slave to myself. I'm a slave to my own happiness. And my own selfishness. And what becomes shockingly clear then is that the only way out of this is that I've got to die to myself. See, see, the problem isn't my life. The problem isn't my spouse. The problem isn't my kids. The problem isn't my job. The problem is me. I have to die, right? That part of me that says it's all about me, that part of me that's all about my happiness, that part of me that says all of you are here for me, right? That part of me, that part has to go to the cross and has to be crucified. That's what Jesus says. He's in Luke. He says, take up your cross daily. Every day I get up and I take up my cross. I put to death that part of me and then I follow him. He says, if you want to save your life, you want to love the way you're supposed to love, you want to live the way that you're supposed to live, then you take up your cross. He says, you want to save your life, then you got to lose your life for my sake. And as I begin to follow Christ, as I begin to live for him, then that's real freedom. And I can love the way I'm supposed to love, and I can live the way I'm supposed to live. Because before that, I'm just enslaved. See, that's the power of the gospel. See, that's the power of the gospel, right? That Jesus, see, Paul didn't make this stuff up, right? Paul says, you know, I'm going to become a slave to all people. Guess what? Jesus said it first, okay? Or he did it first. In fact, Paul refers to it back in Philippians 2. Jesus, who is God, can we just agree that as God, he's pretty free? All right? He can do whatever he wants. All right? So he's God. And what does it say he does in Philippians 2? It says that he makes himself a servant. Right? He makes himself nothing. He comes to earth so that we can be saved. He dies for us. See, he did it first. And so Jesus says in John 10, he says, I go and I freely lay down my life for you. He says, nobody takes it from me. Nobody's like, Jesus, you have to go to the cross. I'm making you. He says, no, no. Those soldiers thought they were doing that. I did it. I walked of my own volition to that cross and I put myself up there 
for you. I laid down my freedom and my rights so that you could have freedom. But it's not freedom so that you can just use it on your own and on yourself. Do what I did. We're supposed to live like Jesus. What did he do? He leveraged his freedom for others, and we're supposed to do the same. Um, See, it would be really sad, wouldn't it, if we took that gift that God gives us and then we threw it back in his face. It's like he gives us this gift of freedom. See, this is the problem. Our freedom, it's not a right. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He gives us this gift. And instead of cherishing it and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to use this however you want, we throw it in his face. We say, man, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live for me. See, when he gives us this freedom, freedom in our relationships, freedom in our, our actions, look, then I can live, I can love. And I can go and I can die. See, that's the Christian call, isn't it? To go and to die. Go into the world and make disciples. And the way we do that by dying to ourselves. And when we have that freedom, then we can go. It doesn't matter where we're going, right? Maybe for some of you, it just means going across the street. Maybe it means going to your neighbors. Maybe it means going into your office. Maybe it means going across the country. Maybe it means going overseas. Maybe it means going into your own family. But you go, and then you lay down those freedoms. You lay down those rights, and you leverage them for other people. Listen, God, listen, let me try this again. You, okay, you are not in your job by accident. You're not in your your class by accident. You're not in your school by accident. You're not in your family by accident. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. God isn't going to wake up one day and be like, oh my gosh, you were there that whole time. I had no idea, right? It's not going to happen. God knows you're there, all right? He's put you there because you and you alone, right, are uniquely in a position where you can lay down your freedoms for somebody else. That's what he's put you there for, okay? And he's giving you this freedom, not so that you can drive your own agenda, but so that you can find a way to make the gospel more palatable. You can make sure that people hear it clearly. And you can go and you can be his witnesses wherever you're supposed to go. And I can't answer that for you. But we can do that because we've got this freedom because we don't have to live for ourselves. Praise God, I don't have to live for my own happiness. Praise God, I don't have to make my life perfect. Right? I don't have to make everything right all the time because that's the only way that I'm going to be happy. Man, that's not working. Is that working for anybody? No. Of course not. Instead, we get to go and we get to die. Um... So here's what we've said, okay? We've said a lot in a very short amount of time, so let me, um, let me try to wrap this up a little bit. Um, we've said that, that there's this bad view of freedom, okay? That's really messed up. That freedom is about me. And it's about me trying to get my own happiness and whatever I want to do. But there's this, that view of freedom is messed up. 
and it's going to lead ultimately to destruction. It's, gonna, it's a dead end. But there's this other view of freedom that says, man, my freedom is for other people, and now I get to leverage that for others. And that means that I've got the freedom, and I can go, and I can say yes. You know, I love that in the video where Bob and Wendy were talking about that. It's just a matter of saying yes. God's going to put you in opportunities, in your schools, in your jobs, in your families, in your neighborhoods, and he's going to say, are you going to be there? Are you going to be willing to do this? And he's going to give you opportunities. And because we're free, because our happiness isn't found in our spouse or our kids or our job or anything else that's found in Christ, we can say yes, and we can lay down those freedoms. And it might be as simple as saying, you know what? That means I don't have to play golf today. I'm going to go help my neighbor with his yard. It means, you know, all the freedoms to to be right all the time, to say whatever comes into our mind. We can lay that down. Freedom from watching football, freedom from playing golf, freedom from, you know, bowling, whatever it is, whatever those things are that, yes, you have every right to do, but guess what? There might be an opportunity here that you need to say yes to. So where are you going? Who are you leveraging your freedom for? I mean, think about it right now. You know your context. You know the people in your life. Who are you leveraging your freedom for? I want to give you a really practical application, okay? Um, In two weeks, we are going to meet on a Saturday, and we're going to go around Phoenixville, and we're going to knock on doors, and we're going to invite people to come to Pumpkin Fest. And I think we had an announcement about Pumpkin Fest earlier, probably, I hope. (laughs) Um, I stepped out for a minute. Um, But Pumpkin Fest, right, is this, we're going to get together with these other churches, we're going to host this event, and we're going to show the love of God to our community. And there's going to be all kinds of reasons, right, on that Saturday afternoon that we're going to get together, and you're going to say, man, I don't want to do this. And you're going to be busy, and you're going to have football games to watch, or maybe, you know, all kinds of good things. But will you say yes? Will you come out for a couple of hours, knock on some doors, and just say, hey, we're from GVF, we're a church here. We want you to come to Pumpkin Fest because God loves you. And you know what? It might be a little scary, it might be a little intimidating, and you don't have to do it. No one can make you do that. You have freedom, and God is not going to love you more if you show up. Just to be clear, okay? But will you say yes? Will you go? Let's pray. Father, um, we just thank you that you, in your grace, you love us no matter what. God, if, if we walk away with nothing else this morning, I, I pray that everyone would hear very clearly that if we have trusted in your son and we are your child, then there's nothing that we're going to do to mess that up. And that you love us absolutely. But God, if we're your children and you've given us that freedom and you love us unconditionally, then how, how can we possibly sit back and not use that to save other people? Lord, we want to see people come to faith. We want other people to know the kind of freedom that we have. We want them to become your children. We want them to quit living for themselves. We want them to, to abandon this idea that freedom is all about me and what I want and how I, can make myself unha- or how I can make myself happy because that is a dead end. That will lead to death. It will lead to destruction. And it's destroying our world. It's destroying our country. It's destroying our neighborhoods right now. 
that we want people to see that real freedom, real freedom only comes through you. God, I pray right now because I know that there's somebody in here who's wrestling. Man, I've been wrestling with this for the last couple of days that I want my freedom. I want my rights. God, help us to lay those down. Help us to look at your son and help us to see how he laid down his life for us and we've got to do the same. It's the only way we're going to have real life. It's the only way we're going to be able to love the way you want us to love. Um, God, I I just pray that um, if there's anybody right now who's wrestling with that, I pray that they come um, and talk to somebody. I, I pray that they wouldn't wrestle with this alone. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.